what a great time to be in the house of the Lord, seeing people who have come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, being baptized in water baptism, professing that to the world. I can never get enough of that. Um, I remember this one time I was youth pastoring, and uh, we baptized, I believe it was 78 kids. And I did it in one shot. And uh, there was no hot water. And it was cold the night before. I got out and said, hey, I can't feel anything beneath my legs. But God was glorified, and he was glorified here today. So praise the Lord. All right, today we're going to continue our series in the book of James. And we're going to call this one Living Right or Right Living. I think I did a right living a couple of weeks ago. This one's Living Right. A tough old cowboy from Texas counseled his granddaughter that if she wanted to live a long life, the secret was to sprinkle a pinch of gunpowder on her oatmeal every morning. Well, this granddaughter did this religiously until she was 103 years old when she finally went to be with the Lord. She left behind 14 children, 30 grandchildren, 45 great-grandchildren, 25 great-great-grandchildren, and a 40-foot hole where the crematorium used to be. I thought that was good, but, you know. All right, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, written in the early 40s. He wrote primarily to Jews who were Christians because that's all there was. And so we pick up today in James chapter 4, verse 11. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version and also out of the Berean Standard, or Berean Study Bible later. James chapter 4. Verse 11, it'll be on the screen. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil." Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's open the prayer. Chance, can you turn the house down just a little bit? Father God, we thank you for today. And thank you for just everything. You're the reason we're here, to worship you, to seek you. You said if we would knock, the door would be opened. Lord, you also said to continue knocking, continue asking, continue seeking. And so here we are, seeking your face. Lord, we ask that you speak to all of us through your word today, even myself. And God, I know that I am nothing, but you are everything. So I ask that you use me in your word. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. Change us, Lord, that when we leave, will be excited about you, that we will lead others to salvation. 
In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. All right. Life principle today is walking right means to speak no evil, watch out for presumption and arrogance. Speak no evil and watch out for presumption and arrogance. Number one, speak no evil. We're going to break this down a little bit. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, out of the New International Version 1984 edition, says this, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is one law, or there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, speaking of evil of someone, um, about someone to others is pretty well prohibited in Scripture. We find it in multiple places. Specifically in this place, where in the New King James it says, and in the NIV, the word translated, speak evil, is actually better translated, in my opinion, and you know what opinions are like, as slander, to slander someone. Well, what is slander? We have a general idea, but we don't really know biblically what is slander. So I looked it up, and according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, It is an accusation maliciously uttered with the purpose or effect of damning the reputation of another. As a rule, it is a false charge, but it may be a truth that is circulated insidiously and with a hostile purpose. So, slander could be falsities or it could be truth that is circulated about to hurt someone. Slander is speaking evil of someone. Now, what else do we call that? How about gossip? Is gossip a word we use? Yes, it is. Let Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Keep your tongue from evil in Psalm 34.13. It says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In Proverbs 6.16, it says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. You see that one there? One who is a false witness and sows discord among the brethren. A gossip. You know, it's always a a funny thing. It used to be, and thank God it's not here. I haven't found anybody. But every other church that I've served in, and even grew up in, there was always one lady that they'd say, don't tell this lady anything unless you want the whole church to know it. I had one pastor say, I can't believe how many times I've preached on gossip, and she amens me every time. Discord, guys, is causing tension, causing fighting, division, evil amongst the brethren. It's a sin in God's eyes. It is a sin, and it needs to be taken care of. It's what says there, speaks evil of the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Listen, if you're speaking evil of people, other believers, then you are no longer living out the Scriptures. You're just not. 
but now you have set yourself as a judge over them. Well, how is that, pastor? Because the Bible says don't slander, don't speak evil, but you think you know better, and you slander, you speak evil, and you gossip. Think about this. The person who sinned, you don't know what God will do with them in the future. You should pray for their repentance. Perhaps later in life, they will repent and come back to God in the church. However, here you're talking about them behind their backs. You're spreading rumor and innuendo. And that's garbage. And garbage shouldn't even be spoken of about other people. It's gossip. When you say that a person is doing something, and that will send them to hell. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Your hair is too, is too short. You're going to hell. Believe it or not, I was talking to our, our fourth grade teacher at, at the school. And uh, she said she was coming home. And she was going in her house, and her neighbor stood across the street, and she said, Hey, I see you cut your hair. You're going to hell. She said, I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Like I said earlier, are you God? Do you know what God will do with them later? No, you don't. I'm sure there's many Christians in Paul's day would have said that he was going to hell. Because he was killing the believers. His name was Saul at that time. But God gave him a miraculous intervention. It's in Acts chapter 9 verse 3. And it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you? Lord? My mind's going, Duh. And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. He was blind. And now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, Here I am, Lord, he said. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Now see, I probably would have answered a whole lot worse, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. In other words, God, do you know who this man is? He's a sinner. He kills us every day. He puts us in prison. And here, going on, it says, And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. We don't know what God can do with some people, with all of us. James chapter 4, verse 12, we're going to pick back up in our main text. It says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge? There is one lawgiver, that is God. He's able to save to destroy. You're not. You don't know all things. He does. So how dare we speak evil to one another about one another to slander someone or spread gossip. Remember, doing such things makes you a person who's judging God's law. In essence, who are we to judge? You know what the problem is with those that are self-deceived? Other than being self-deceived. Many times they have a holier-than-thou attitude. You ever met anybody like that? Please don't point a finger at me, because if I am, I repent. I try not to be. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, y'all will get that joke on the way home. <clears throat> so many times they have a holier-than-thou attitude. They have this weird bent toward a sinful rivalry or conflict. They just love to stir it up. You know, being this way oftentimes lead to a bitter attitude on their part. However, these Christians are often indifferent to the abysmal condition of their own faith. They have no idea how poor their faith is. These Christians are boastful, and they do a lot of bragging. They've done what James warns about in chapter 2, verse 4, if you remember. They have become judges with evil thoughts. Their speech has become corrupt. James 3.10, if you remember, says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. These kinds of Christians have usurped God's rule, God's role as judge not only over themselves, but over everyone else. To behave like this shows that they have an abundance of pride and presumption and arrogance. Remember James 4, 6? It says, but he gives more grace, therefore he says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The problem here is that they are self-deceived, so they don't even know that they're in pride. They don't stop to do self-examination. They don't ask God to show them their sins so that they may confess and repent of them. They are carnal. They are unspiritual. They are surface-level Christians and surface-level people. The problem is, nine times out of ten, they think they are spiritual and a deep Christian, but in reality, they aren't. They aren't. Lord, let me never be one of those. How do we not be one of those? Come to the cross and pray sincerely. Lord, show me my sin that I may repent. That's not taught enough today. Show me my sin that I may repent. You know what? In my flesh, I don't want to do it. It ain't fun. I don't want to be reminded of the things I've done against God. But Lord, give it to me anyway. And trust me, in sincerity, He will. And then you have to repent. First, forgiveness. Confession, forgiveness, repentance. 
Don't do it anymore. You know, I've got an illustration about this, and I've struggled whether or not to share this, but I I think I need to. You know, a few months ago, my wife and I were visiting some old friends, known them for forever. And times past, we had accepted them as family. We have treated them as family. But however, right before the pandemic, anytime I saw them, I would pick up on a weird attitude change. Now, if you all know anything about me, I just think it's in my head. You know what I mean? Because I've known them for 10 years or more. It's got to be in my head. You see, while I was trying to be a good dad, a teacher, Sunday school teacher, and then recently a pastor of this church, and a pastor even before all of that, there was some gossip going on that I wasn't privy to. Of course, it was false. I knew nothing about it. To this day, I don't know what the details are, and I don't want to know. I thought it was in my mind. Did they ever ask me anything about it? Did they do what Matthew 18 says? Go to them? No, not at all. Did they ever seek me out? Let me know they had a problem with me? No, they didn't. Christians, we're supposed to do that. The Scripture says in Matthew 18, if you know that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar, make it right, and then offer your gift. Lord, that's their problem. It ain't mine. No, somebody's got to be the first one. Somebody's got to be the first one to make that step. Jesus said it'd be you. So again, I'm thinking this is all in my mind. Until one day we're at a gathering. They happen to be there, and I'm not going to go into any more detail, but the woman comes up to my wife, gives her a big hug, and says, we sure do miss you, even though your husband is a putz. Excuse me? Needless to say, we we now disassociate with them. But for those of you who were like me, I have a general idea or had a general idea of what that meant, but I didn't know exactly. So I looked it up. Because y'all know I look stuff up. I got to know exactly. Now, I wish I hadn't, but... uh, Anyway, here's what I found out. This type of individual is a stupid, foolish, or ineffectual person. A synonym for this individual in today's vernacular is jerk. I'm not sure where they got that. If you see me that way, we need to have a discussion because I don't want to be that way. Um, That's never my motivation, ever, with anybody. I have no idea what colored their opinion. But there you have it, and now I'm moving right along. Point two. Watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking, number two. James 4.13 says, Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's a great section of Scripture. That's a good ouch section of Scripture, too. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I just love it when I'm praying and and God brings that to my remembrance and I know I didn't do something that I probably should have done. Thank you, Lord. Okay, that's a sin of omission. Now I got to go make it right. But this next section is more about presumption and arrogance in a Christian's life. Yes, Christians can be arrogant. Did you know that? Christians can be arrogant. Yeah. And I bet every one of us at times has been guilty of it. We can be presumptuous. Well, James uses the idea of the businessman here as an illustration. These were businessmen. This would have been something they could relate to. This is all about the pride of the successful person. This kind of pride should never be in a Christian's thinking. This person says to himself and and maybe to others, Look at me, look what I have done with my hands and my intelligence. I'm a self-made man. You ever met anybody like that? Look at me, no one helped me. I got here all on my own. Every time I hear someone like this, I... First of all, I step back in case lightning strikes, but um, that was a joke. You get it on the way home. I know I'm not going to be able to, to change their mind. I, I just can't. Nothing I can say could change their mind. But if they're Christians, the Scripture should. And James chapter 4.14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Everything I own, everything you own, will eventually belong to someone else. If the Lord tarries, my house, my car, my money, nothing's mine. When I am dead and gone, the things of this temporary life won't mean a thing. Yet, here we, what do we do? We hoard things. Instead of hoarding everything, how about I do what Scripture says? How about helping the brethren, the sick, the widows, the destitute, tithing? James 4.15 says, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. I used to have another friend, different friend. Matter of fact, he was my youth minister years ago. He'd talk about all the people he'd witnessed to. See, his job, he traveled a lot, and he witnessed to a lot of people. And all the people that got saved on the CB radio... And then they got mad about something in a church, the church they were going to, and they stopped. You know know what I hear now? What I used to hear a lot? I don't hear a lot about that anymore. I hear a lot about, look at my new toys. Look at my stuff. You know what? I know some pastors like that too. And that ought not be. Jesus spoke a parable about this, about this to illustrate the point of pride and boasting and arrogance in temporal things. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man who made me a judge or an arbiter over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, 
The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those, then, sorry, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And of course, going along that same line of thinking, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Hmm. Last point, we're called to not be in arrogance, not to be prideful, not to speak ill of people, but we are called to live right before God. When all is said and done, you won't answer to me and I won't answer to you. You will answer to God, whether you're a Christian or not. The Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. In the Berean Study Bible, James 5, 1 through 6 says this, Come now, you who are rich, weep and wail over the misery to come upon you. Your riches have rotted and mouths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and consume your flesh like fire. You have hoarded treasure in the last days. Look, the wages you withheld from the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous who did not resist you. You know, in this world, if you keep up at all uh, with politics, you've probably heard... People keep saying the word, the new world order is coming. I've been hearing that basically all my life. I didn't believe it until one day I was watching our president speak. And the words, a new world order is coming and we need to lead the charge is what he said. My mouth hung open. Now that led me to do some research on what's called the Great Reset. And I'm not going to go into all that because that's not what we're here for. Now, I've heard about the Great Reset over 10 years or so. I don't necessarily believe everything they say about it, but a lot of it is starting to happen. And it, it, it should scare me, but it doesn't. Because I know that my life isn't here, it's there. It's with Jesus. If this is happening... It reminds me of the stock market crash of 1929 where men and people were throwing themselves off the roofs of buildings and committing suicide over their finances because they put all their wealth, all their stock in this world in the world's way of doing things, the world's system. What happened? 
They place their trust in the world system. It is temporary, and it has nothing to do with spiritual matters whatsoever. Does that mean we should not use the stock market? That we should not build a retirement portfolio? No, it doesn't. It means don't put your trust all in it. When you trust something implicitly, you put your money where, where your mouth is. Don't trust it implicitly. Jesus said, be wise as snakes and gentle as doves. If you want to know people's hearts, see where they put their time, energy, and money, lastly. See where they put their time, energy, and money. Matthew 6, 19, 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, The saddest part about this is that James is writing to the Christian. God is writing to those that call themselves brethren. They were neglecting the widows of their day. They were neglecting the poor of their day. They were neglecting the spiritual needs of other people as well. And that matters most. Those that had called on the name of Christ. These same people were cheating their workers according to that scripture. Anybody remember in the 90s, late 90s, that real popular thing where everybody would put a fish on their business? Well, you know what? Everybody started doing it. Christian or not. And it got so bad to the point that if I saw a fish, I didn't go to that business. I'll be honest with you. Because I knew nine times out of ten, I'd get ripped off. I'd rather go down the street with the guy who cusses me out, but he ain't going to rip me off. There are many today who have cheated their workers, cheated their customers. They call themselves Christians. They're in a church probably today. There are many Christians who cheat on their taxes. Hello, now I've gone from preaching to meddling. Call upon who call themselves Christians, they cheat on their taxes, their wives, they tell lies, they speak evil of everybody. They feel better by putting other people down rather than trying to listen to Christ and humble themselves and He will lift them up. That's what the Bible says. Christianity is not just something you do on a Sunday. Can you hear me? Christianity is not just something you put in a box and this is what I do on Sunday and when I get home, I put that box on the shelf and then I go out and do whatever I want the rest of the week. Me and God got our thing worked out. I'm good. I was witnessing one time. Okay, I was passing out literature one time. You know, this guy must have thought I was a Jehovah's Witness. I wasn't dressed like one. I was in jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, it was for a revival. And so we were passing out cards and whatnot. And uh, me and another guy walked up to his house, and he was coming out the door. I said, hey, we're from such and such Baptist church. We'd like to, I, I'm good, I'm good, don't need it, I'm good. Got in his car and drove off. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Christianity is not something you do on a Sunday only. Your beliefs ought to inform every area of your life. 
If someone in your life tells you to do something that you know is wrong, whether it be on the job site, whether it be at home, whether it be in a grocery store, wherever, guess what? You don't do it. That's easy to say. But you're not there, Pastor. And I'm sorry, black ink, white paper. Jesus said not to do it. Don't do it. If the Bible says to do something, guess what? You do it. I say it like it's simple. Do you know why? Because it's simple to say, but it can be hard to carry out. Because our flesh tells us, I, 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 don't, I just want to sit in my recliner and take a nap. I don't want to go down to the church. Why do I got to get up? Why do I, God, eh, it's not that hard of a concept, but for some reason we all have trouble understanding it, myself included some days. The problem, at least for some, is the consequences that will come from following the morality of Scripture. Stay with me here. Following Scripture... And I'm going to use me as an example, and I could point to anybody in here that I've met longer than three months that's a Christian and say, you've probably experienced this. The problem is, is that when you follow Scripture, it will cause you to lose things. I have lost promotions. I, I, following Scripture has caused me to be the butt of jokes in the workplace. Following Scripture has caused those above me to just pile on the work because I'm a Christian. I worked for a man who was a professed pagan. The question is, will you do and act as God says? Or will you do what the rest of the world is doing? I could have said, you know what? I'm going to go tell this guy off. And guess what? I'm going to be real with you. There were times I wanted to. There were times I was hot. And you know what happened? I'd be sitting in my truck going, Lord. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit grab a hold of my heart, say, is that right? Oh, now i got to repent. You've probably experienced that. All that to say Christianity isn't something you live out. It's something that you need to live out daily, not something you take off on Monday when, you work, when work comes. If you love Jesus and you're truly saved, you should naturally want to do what he says. You may not always do it, but you should naturally want to do it. You're going to want to strive to live the holy life that God has called us to live. You know, even Paul had a problem with walking in the holiness. Paul, the apostle, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, most of the time he was in prison while he was writing that, but two-thirds of the New Testament he wrote. He, He said, I've been to the third heavens and seen things God said I can't even write down. He penned these words. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. It should be on the screen. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I admit that the law is good. In that case, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good that I want to do. Instead, I keep on doing the evil I do not want to do. And if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So this is the principle I have discovered. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's Romans chapter 7, by the way, if I didn't say it. Does this mean we get frustrated and just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with the church, I'm done with everything, I'm going to go, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. I guess in today's vernacular, I'm going to take my, I don't know, Nintendo Switch and go home. I, I don't know what it is. Does this mean we get frustrated? Yeah, you're going to get frustrated. But the person who gives up only piles on more and more sin, and it makes them feel worse and worse, and hopefully, eventually, they will come to Christ and repent. It is better that if you fall, you get right back up again. Don't walk away and try to live holy before a holy God. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. You're going to fall, folks. Keep pushing. Keep going. Walking right means don't speak evil against people. Watch out for presumption and arrogance and stay humble. The first question, I've got a couple of questions for you today as the lady 